Visit RTI on the web at english.rti.org.tw. Hello and welcome to Radio Taiwan International. I am Natalie So. Up this hour, we have Taiwan Today, where I talk with a political scientist about the recent midterm elections, why the DPP suffered such a major loss, and an analysis of the elections in Taipei and Kaohsiung. After that, we have for you a taste of the live performance scene on Live from Taipei. But first, join us on Here in Taiwan. Welcome to Here in Taiwan. It's Friday, November 30th. And in the studio, we have Shirley Lin. Hello. Jake Chen. Hello. And I am Natalie So. We'll be talking about the top 10 confusing phrases for Taiwanese who are learning English. Also, the restoration of a very old street in Jingmen. And a new law that requires companies to post salaries. Those stories and more next. Let's talk about this new law that requires companies. It actually starts today, and the companies can be fined $300,000 if they don't do this, which is about $10,000 U.S. That's pretty severe. And the new law is that companies need to post the salary range of jobs with salaries of $40,000 or less a month, which is like oh. a lot of jobs in Taiwan. Oh, okay. right? I think many average salary jobs are under 40000 well, that puts a lot of pressure on the employers. I think so. I mean, because I, I run a gift shop, I'm like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> because people think, oh, no, I'm in the low range. I wonder if my colleague is in the higher. I mean, they're giving more to someone else. You know, that could cause a lot of friction. Yeah. Or a lot of questions and complaints. And I say, yeah, because you're not as good as she, you know. <laughs> you're being direct, aren't you? <laughs> no, I'm just thinking of the kind of conversation I could have. <laughs> Which is... Not far away, given that a law is in place. Um, but, um, there are other ways to look at it, of course. What do you guys think? I'm not sure which is the the better thing to do. I think, I mean, Natalie, you started the conversation really well because it certainly takes uh, power, right or wrong, away from employers and give it more to the employees. Because right now that the law is in place, the employees can see where, uh, you know, on the industry food chain that he or she is and, you know, and adjust accordingly. So somebody say, if you're working on a job in which the salary range is between thirty to 40000 and you're paid, you know, thirty two, then... Eventually, you either work your way up in this position, or you're going to look for jobs that are in the higher thirty, you know, mm. range. Um, it, it certainly helps. It's, I think for some, it's a motivation to to advance and to work harder. So, in the long run, I think this could be one way to benefit the employers. You know, because competitiveness is one thing you look for. Actually, I think you know, thinking about it, if you have a certain system in place that you can explain, mm. maybe it would work out. Like, say so you're in this range because of this, and if you want to get higher, you need to do this. Yeah, seniority. You have a, a, yeah, you have to have a good reason and give the person yeah. some hope. You know, yeah, <laughs> climbing the ladder. Right. Oh, so but, it's more um, from the employee's that, point of view. Mm. Yeah. What about yeah for employees? You think it's a good idea? If you're looking for a job and then you you know the range, I you mean, think that they won't I, be wasting their time. I yeah. think so. Andrew, I mean Andrew th thought it was a great idea. Good idea. Yeah, same yeah. here. I, I definitely want to know not just how much this job pays, but how much this industry pays in general. You know, just so I know where I stand. I think that definitely helps. But yeah. most jobs I've encountered, they actually ask you 
what is your you know seller level that you're thinking of? Yeah, because that's a way to to um, negotiate. Yeah, you give the starting point, and then right. they if it's super low, they're like, great, you know. Right. <laughs> and if it's super high, they're like, we can't do that, you know. And then they cut you down. Right. <laughs> well, you know, they see what they have to work with, right? Instead right. of they giving away all their chips or what do you call it? Yeah, their cards. Other chips, are playing yeah. their cards. Yeah. Right? laying mm-hmm. out their cards. So, I mean, I think it's, in, in a way, it's fair, but it definitely changes the game. Yeah, yeah definitely. Because the, job you, scene, the yeah. game you just mentioned, it requires so much research on both the employer side and the employee side. Right now, everything is in the open. I mean, you know, you know what we pay and you know where you are. So, you know, it, I think decisions are made probably not easier, but more straightforward that way. That's true. So I think that for employers, they have to have a good reason for each salary that they give, that they can right. explain that's reasonable to the employee. Right. And for em- employees, I guess they they know what they're getting into or even if they should go to this interview, right? Right. Yeah. So, not waste your time. So the employers have to kind of like go back to the drawing board kind of thing. Mm. <laughs> so anyway, you know, a lot of companies um, are taking down their ads because they don't know what to do. <laughs> should, we, should we like post this or not? But we don't want to get fined. So <laughs> we'll figure it out soon. <laughs> okay. are learning English in Taiwan. That's actually supposedly going to be the next official language, so we hope that happens one day. Right. But um, you have a list of top 10 confusing English phrases? Yeah, as a former uh, English teacher uh, in China and briefly in Taiwan, I can certainly see a lot of students getting confused by this. Some of them is fairly easy to understand, like, I'm all years. You know, mm. like if you take it literally as I am all ears, it doesn't make sense. But right? Where are where are all your ears? I mean, how many? Yeah. <laughs> why are you all ears? <laughs> I only see two ears. <laughs> right. But but I think um, some of this can be understood properly given the context in which it is spoken. Some of them is pretty straightforward. Like you know, this will cost you an arm and a leg. You know. Okay. Uh, it sounds like it's costly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> well, you know, or other things like um, uh, get it off your chest. Right. Um, some things I remember when I first heard this many, many, many years ago. I was confused myself. You know, get ready. These are, these are all body part analogies. Huh? Yeah, Isn't that interesting? interesting. Yeah, exactly. Do, do we do that in Chinese? I think sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah, yeah. We, we do. Mm-hmm. We, we do, do too. Because okay. okay. these are things we can closely relate, right? Uh-huh. Oh, okay. Um, also, sense. yeah, uh, there's this face to music. You know, get ready to. to, to uh, that, that's different. That's that different. You different. Would not get it. Yeah, I don't, we don't know hear how that, that often. There must there must be some reason we have this phrase, but yeah. I don't know why. Yeah, <laughs> when I first heard of this, like, you know, over a decade ago, I, I was confused. Like, you know, well, clearly something not pleasant is going to happen, but why face the music? Oh, I get it. You know, eventually, like, face the verbal punishment and the whole mm-hmm. thing. You're uh, have one's head in the clouds, right? Ah. Yeah. Um, and then uh, play by ear. This is something that confused me for a while, too. Really? Oh, but this yeah. is a very common phrase. Though. Play it by ear, yeah. 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 Play it by ear. But we don't know why we have this phrase either. I think, what does the ear have to do with it? I, I think it's probably a music thing. Like, you mm-hmm. don't, you don't ah, read the... It's like being a spontaneous, like a jazz musician, right? You play by ear. Exactly. Oh, you don't read the okay. sheet music, well, that, you just that, play by ear. Yeah. By what you hear. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, or thick in the head. This is another one. As in, you know, being... that, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> There's still all Not body the... parts. Yeah, yeah, really. <laughs> and then more body parts. Uh, wash one's hands off something. You know, as in, uh, as in your, your... Wash one's hands. I think that's a Bible reference. Yeah. Um, Pilate, yeah. you know, who tried to say, you know, I'm not, 
It's not my fault. I'm yeah, crucified yeah. Jesus. Okay. Yeah, this last one, getting cold feet. This one confused me when I first heard it. You know, yeah, as in your deal with cold feet again. <laughs> why? Why would your feet be cold if you don't want to do something? If you're hesitant, yeah, I I don't know. There must be a story behind all these. Yeah, these are hard to understand. I mean, we're used to them because we're English speakers, but right. if you're not. And even like, hard. I remember when my son um, was like a fifth grade, he was in a local elementary school in English, and he would be already watching YouTubers in English so he could pick up some slang. Hmm. And he told a slang to his English teacher, and she didn't understand it. She corrected him. She said, um, she said there's a slang called in your face. Oh. And then he said, she said, no, you can't. You can't do have anything in your face. You have to be on your face. And oh. they were like uh, arguing about this. And then he came home. He says, my teacher doesn't know the slang in your face. That, that doesn't bode too well for our English education, does it? <laughs> yes. Uh, anyway, I thought that was sad. interesting. Yeah. So uh, uh, we have a ways to go here. But I'm yeah. glad we're moving in that direction. Not just for students, for Good. teachers, too. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully one day everybody will be able to understand all, everything on that list with no problem at all. We have an old, old street being restored in Qingmen, the outlying island, which is very close to China. Uh, tell us about the street, Shirley. Yes, finally, because some local residents have been arguing about you know, having this restoration work done. Basically, to restore this old street called Mofan Street. That translates into Model Street. You know, it's really interesting. Uh-huh. Yeah. So anyway, they they actually really do want that future uh, buildings to be kind of like built after the mo- model after the street too. But anyway, so um, it's finally going to start the uh, you know the restoration work, and um, we're talking about this old street made up of red brick buildings with arched front door facades. You know, we're talking about the street being restored to how it used to look in the 1920s. And uh, apparently it's going to take one year for them to restore. They want to preserve the street's original appearance and also preventing the old brick houses from collapsing. And so basically the program represents a consensus among the owners to restore the buildings to their former glory. This place, this Morfan Street, had been a popular tourist destination for the past few years, especially among Chinese um, tourists. They usually are attracted during the uh, Chinese New Year holidays. And also, you know how China has this uh, one, like a week-long holiday in October? And, uh, Around is National Day, yeah. Right, yeah, National Day, right, right. And the street would be actually decorated with flags of both Taiwan and China. Oh, and, yeah. So um, the street was built in 1925, and it comprises of 40 houses. Um, most of them are like stores, um, you know, like old mom and pop stores or old grocery stores. Basically, the characteristic of this uh, of the architecture is that they combine Chinese and Western style buildings. And it, it, the street actually enjoyed its heydays in 1960s, but then fell into disrepair in the 80s and 90s due to economic recession. And since then, they've been like oh, calling for restoration. Finally, after seven years of um, getting the government on a move about this, they're getting restored. So most of these um, these old buildings are still occupied. In fact. Oh, wow. So they're going to so have they've been uh, around for like almost 100 years, yeah. right? 1920s, yeah. it's almost it's, We're getting on right? a century, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. I bet mm-hmm. it's going to look pretty um, nice when they're renovated, but 
Can we, their old style, right? Right. Yeah, we've got to keep that just flavor. Repaired, I think. Right. Uh, that's great. And yep. we have some good news from the city of Taoyuan, right? They got an award for something. Tell us about that. Yes. You know how the Taoyuan mayor got reelected, and I think it's a good thing because uh, he actually did a lot for uh, the city itself. Basically, it won an international award for a program it initiated in twenty uh, seventeen to promote integration of migrant workers. Uh, the award is granted by this uh, worldwide network of some 800 members called the International Observatory on Participatory Democracy, which uh, recognizes public policies implemented by local governments to incorporate all groups of people within this program. So basically, Taiwan is home to more than a hundred thousand migrant workers. You know, it's a big city with a lot of migrant workers, and so they initiated this program last year, and they invited foreign migrants to participate in the policy planning and budgeting of this program. Yeah, so they really want to get them involved and really meet their needs and all that kind of stuff. Basically, the target group consists of Southeast Asian migrant workers who were living and working here without citizenship, and were both disadvantaged and being discriminated against in Taiwan. And that's why the Taiwan mayor thought about this program and including um, the migrant workers. Kind of like involve them in the whole society, the whole process, you know? and getting yeah. them involved in helping themselves, right? Right, and also it's a, you know uh, because this network actually is wanting to expand the importance of democracy. Great. So uh, we are reaching out to our a diverse population, right? We have a lot of new immigrants and foreign workers in Taiwan, and Italians doing a great job of reaching out to them, getting them involved. Well, thanks for joining us for here in Taiwan, and do stay tuned for Taiwan Today and live from Taipei. And we'll see you at the end of the hour for here in Taiwan. I'm Natalie So. I'm Shirley Lin, and I'm Jake Chen. The sound of the Puyuma tribe on Radio Taiwan International. You're listening to Radio Taiwan International. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Today with Natalie So. Hello and welcome to Taiwan Today. I'm Natalie So. In this week's past local elections, the ruling party suffered a major defeat. It used to control 13 out of Taiwan's 22 cities and counties. After the midterm election, it only had six, and it lost in the major cities of Taipei, Taichung, and Kaohsiung. President Tsai Ing-wen resigned as DPP party chair as a result. Why the resounding defeat for the DPP? Well, today we get some perspectives from political scientist Spencer Young of Taiwan's Chinese Culture University. We talk about the races in Taipei and Kaohsiung, 
And Professor Yang first tells me why he thinks the ruling DPP lost so big in this election. Several reasons compiled together. Of course, as everyone has said, because the economic situation is not going well. So people feel dissatisfied with the current situation. During the past two years, he abolished or reduced uh, the pension fund that the government promised to the uh, retired public servants and the military persons. And uh, those people, although the number is, you know, is only about two or three percent of the voting population, but still their influence, okay, they are mostly educated people. So they are sending their dissatisfaction and has a considerable impact on the general public. Other than that, the government made some mistakes. You know, for example, the DPP earned the support by uh, environmental protections, those kind of policies. Yet in the past two years, they increased the, the power stations uh, with the uh, coal as the major sources, which uh, make serious uh, air pollution, particularly in the mid part of uh, Taiwan. The mid part of Taiwan used to be uh, regarded as the the most fitable place for people to live. But because of the dysfunction of the nuclear power plant, uh, the government expanded the capacity of uh, the power plant with the coal, and uh, that pollutes the air of those areas. And I think uh, people feel uh, the government did not uh, realize the promise you know, they gave to the people. Which promises are, are you talking uh, about? The, uh, the clean airs and uh, the better traffic, you know, those kind of things. And the uh, stable price on food. Other than that, like the, uh, the, the president of Taiwan University, he was elected according to the traditional procedures. But uh, the government feel that the new elected is is not their people. You know, it's not on the same uh, ideological position with the government. You know, so they decided to compel him. You know, to leave. But this guy, you know, he resists. You know, so by his resistance, it of of course it makes a big news. You know, and uh, the the negative uh, images you know continue to carry you know on the media against the government. You know, so all those kinds accumulated. So people feel that they want to show their dissatisfaction you know, on this uh, election. But let's talk about another couple of other interesting phenomenons. What about the race in Taipei? How close it was between, you know, incumbent, independent, Coenza, and then Ding Zhong. Mm-hmm. What do you make of the Taipei race? Ding Zhong is not a real charismatic challenger. So actually... The proportion of his votes is about the same as uh, his predecessor, you know, the KMT-nominated uh, Lian Shengwen uh-huh. four years ago. You know, they are about actually in exactly the same uh, proportion. Mm-hmm. It's only about 40.8 something. So that means that Ding Shouzhong did not increase the supporters for the KMT. And the reason the vote is so close uh, against the uh, the incumbent is because the DPP have their own candidates this time. In the last election, Ke Wenze, he received about 57% of the vote. And this time, he had only uh, 41. And uh, uh, about 3,000... Extra votes. Yeah, uh, extra votes uh, against uh, Din Shouzhong, over mm-hmm. Din Shouzhong. So... If uh, his vote ended with uh, the vote uh, gained by the DPP, I think Ke Wenze, he remained the same 
proportion, you know, as the last election. That means Taipei's uh, citizens, they did not switch so much as we observe in Kaohsiung areas. The reason, I think, uh, Ding Sozong made several strategic uh, mistakes. For example, he did not, you know, the elder peoples in Taipei, they feel dissatisfied with, with uh, Ke Wenze because Ke Wenze, he abolished, you know, the money that government paid to the uh, elder people who are above 65 years old, a kind of uh, goodwills, you know, to them. That's a tradition. Uh, but uh, the first year after Ke Wenze inaugurated, he, uh, he abolished that. And which uh, incur many dissatisfaction with the elder people, and as we know, elder people they take about twenty six or twenty seven percent of the voting population. That's a lot. Yeah, yeah. that's a lot, and uh, those people are are more resolute to cast the vote, comparing with the young generation. Yeah, so this is the big attractions, you know, for the challenger for Din Sozong. But this also he may be distracted, you know, by the internet uh, propaganda, all those kind of things. Yeah, he, he may feel that that he was behind Ke Wenze in the internet communication. So he tried to attract more support from the young people. Yeah, but the young people, they are the strong supporters to uh, Ke Wenze. What do you think about his uh, decision he's going to try to um, have the election, you know, counted as invalid because uh, people were voting past four o'clock and, and could see the voting results as they lined up. Do you think there's any validity or any chance that the vote can be counted invalid? I, I, I don't think it, uh, he would get the judicial support, you know, for the protest. Yeah, I, I don't think it will work. Uh, if it's invalid for him, it should be invalid for everybody, right? The yeah, whole election. Yeah, 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 we can say so. Yeah, it seems like yeah, so, unlikely that they would. Yeah, count. this this is the the the, the reason that this also uh, erased the protest, as I said, mentioned, uh, because uh, many of older people they were intimidated, you know, by the long line. So they are the group that most likely, you know, to withdraw when they see the long line, and. Uh, as I just mentioned, uh, those people, they feel very dissatisfied with uh, Cohen's policies. This hurt Ding Sozong uh, mostly. Yeah, people also said that, you know, once the people voting past four, if they saw that uh, the DPP candidate was way behind, they might uh, vote for Cohen's, right? If they were not yeah, KMT yeah, supporters, right. yeah, too. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So but that they, would yeah, work but they read the, the, yeah, the vote counting, yeah. So yeah, that's, that's bad, bad luck for uh, Ding Sozong, but do you think that that's enough reason for him to no, get the No, because that's, that's it's just, that's just a guess, you know, a, a speculation. Uh-huh. Yeah, you have no evidence to prove that. Yeah, as, and as you mentioned, if this case can be uh, uh, invalid, you know, the uh, election, then it will be applied to all the, uh, the constituents. Yeah, so that will create a very big problem. So do you think he's going to give up, or, or or perhaps the courts will not just? I think he this? already raised the issue, so I think he will fight to the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you already raised that. If you uh, give up in the middle, then it will probably hurt you more. And uh, who who knows? You know, maybe uh, something unexpected can occur. I am speaking with political scientist Spencer Young of Taiwan's Chinese Culture University about Taiwan's recent midterm elections. The ruling Democratic Progressive Party suffered a major defeat 
and most surprising of all, in their stronghold of the South in Kaohsiung. Next, I talk with Professor Young about the rise of a new Kuomintang star in the city of Kaohsiung, the newly elected mayor, Han Guoyu. The sound of the Puyuma tribe on Radio Taiwan International. Listening to Taiwan Today, and I am Natalie So. Taiwan just elected new mayors of 22 cities and counties, and only six of them are now of the ruling DPP party. The biggest victory was in the southern port city of Kaohsiung, as opposition Kuomintang candidate Han Guoyu took the city from the DPP for the first time in 20 years. He won 53% of the votes compared to the DPP candidates' 45%. Today, I get the views of political scientist Spencer Young of Taiwan's Chinese Culture University. Young tells me why he thinks Han Guoyu became so popular in Kaohsiung. As the media always mentioned, the language he used is really echoed you know, by the people's thinking. And he, he didn't use academic terms to describe the situation. He used the language used by the local people. The second thing is, one negative image for the KMT candidate is, as you know, that KMT used to own a big property. Mm-hmm. And uh, it created an image to the general public that KMT candidates has uh, plenty of resources, you know, to conduct the campaign. Right. Yeah, but uh, this time, because the so-called transition of justice, the, the policy you know, conducted by the, uh, the, the central government, by the DPP's government, so all the uh, KMT's uh, property is frozen. Particularly to uh, Han Guoyu, he has some strong protest against the KMT's uh, leadership, uh, arguing that the, the KMT party did not give him any financial assistance. This kind of impression has deeply impressed on people's mind. So everybody knows that he has no money. Yeah, and what he had is, as he said, you know, just one bottle of mineral water. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, these more people, you know, and uh, he has no campaign headquarters. You know, didn't follow the traditional way. He doesn't have branded you know, banners or those kind of propaganda materials, you know, spreading around. This makes people believe that he is uh, fighting the election, you know, to help people to show. Th- their dissatisfactions against the current regime. Yeah, so this is why he, he, he evoked you know, people's hope uh, to change in the future. Do you think that um, he is backed by China? No, I don't think so. If there are some assistance from China, by whatever means, it must occur only in the later part of the campaign, not uh-huh. from the very beginning or not from the middle. Right. You know, as my own experience, when I was at Beijing in the mid-September, I have a chance to meet some scholars who are specialized on uh, Taiwan's development. And uh, when I mentioned that uh, Han Guoyi may have a chance to win, mm-hmm. nobody believed that. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm serious. And I, they, they asked me, you know, why did I make such a statement? You know, what, what, on what basis, you know, do I make a, a, such a prediction? I said I, I make examples on several opinion polls that I read. And they say all these opinion polls are fake opinion polls. You know, they are the KMT's propaganda tools. Mm. You know, so they, they are strongly suspicious that the KMT can have the chance to win back, you know, Kaohsiung. That was September, though, right? Yeah, September. That was a while ago, yeah. Yeah, mid-September. So this is why I say uh, at least, you know, the China, uh, they did not uh, intervene uh, at the beginning. Because mm-hmm. if uh, KMT is hopeless, you know, to win, why should they put their hands in? You know, maybe after October, when Hanguoyi's situation is very much improved, they might begin to feel interested mm-hmm. and uh, try to provide some assistance uh, through internet or through some uh, actual, you know, finance support. I don't know, you know, but it seems to me it's, it's not a planned uh, actions on the China side. Well, not from the beginning, right? Yeah, at least not from the beginning. So, um, you know, I mean, the government, uh, you know, the DPP was warning about influence from China uh, on the elections. How do you think China did influence election or, you know, do you think it did influence election? Yeah, the major accusation made by the uh, the government is uh, the Chinese people, they use the Internet to spread uh, false information or wrong messages to affect you know, people's uh, way of thinking in Taiwan. Fake news, I think this is a common situation, even in the United States. That was political scientist Spencer Young of Taiwan's Chinese Culture University, giving us his perspective on the major issues in Taiwan's recent midterm elections. I'll be talking to other analysts about the impact of the recent local elections on Taiwan's political scene in the coming weeks. Thanks for tuning in to Taiwan Today. I'm Natalie So. Welcome to Live from Taipei. I'm Charlie Stora. And without further ado, I'll take you over to the scene of our last Taipei Story Slam event, which was held on October the 25th at the Sappho Live Jazz Bar here in Taipei. The storyteller, Erez Breutman from Israel. Suggestions from you guys of what you would like the topic to be for the next month, and then we'll put it to a vote, and the one that wins the most uh, will be uh, the topic. And so we ended up with Where the Hell Am I? That was, uh, and it was suggested by our next storyteller, who's making his debut this evening, is Erez. I actually forgot to vote for the topic that I suggested, but uh, yeah, well, I suggested two, just to be fair. Uh, okay, hi guys, uh, I'm Erez, and I want to tell you a story, my uh, Where the Hell Am I story took place in uh, on April 4th, 2004, that's 040404, uh, that's why it's easy to remember, when roughly around 6, 6.30am I woke up at the entrance of to a building in Bilbao, Spain, with 
no idea what happened, with no recollection of how I got there, asking myself, where the hell am I? Uh, also other questions like, how did I get here and so on? And uh, especially the second after when I found out that my uh, wallet, my cell phone and my passport were all on me, disappeared. So I was uh, carrying a um, phone charging cable, no phone though, uh, and I started to think what the hell just happened. Okay, so uh, I'll just go back a few. Before we get to the part, to that part, I'll just explain how I got to Bilbao to start with. Uh, well, being Israeli, went to the military service, mandatory military service. Usually after that, most people work for a few months and then uh, go travel. I went to travel East Asia, then decided I want to go live in Europe. I went to Italy, lived there for a few months, worked illegally, stole their jobs, sold drugs, as uh, all illegal immigrants do. Uh, and after that, I decided to backpack for a month or so in Europe, went to Belgium, went to, I don't remember where, <laughs> Italy, and, and uh, ended up in Spain. Now, uh, backpacking throughout Europe, I, well, I worked in, in Italy, I worked at a youth hostel, so I did meet uh, quite a few people. I made a few friends, and I stayed at their places when I was traveling. Uh, one of these friends... Sorry, uh, introduced me or um, introduced me to one of her friends who lived in Bilbao, Spain, and that's uh, where I arrived uh, on that morning. Uh, sorry, the morning before. Uh, really nice guy. Uh, we went to um, we went out like show me show me around town. We went to this uh, square, this plaza where we were just sitting, drinking, drinking some more beers, calimochos, whatever they drink in uh, in Basque country. And uh, then the interesting part of the night started. Uh, well, we went to a club as uh, young people. I was young back then, no gray hair as far as I can recall. Uh, we went to this club where we started, uh, where, well, I'd be honest, I only remember having had a couple of drinks. And then at a certain point, I think it was underground, and it was uh, uh, like B1 floor. And at a certain point, feeling like I have to get the hell out of there. I need some fresh air. And basically, that's where it all went blurry. Now, uh, well, I do remember some parts about walking around the old part, the old town of uh, Bilbao, uh, possibly, uh, possibly using the alleys and the streets for either number ones or higher, but I'm not really sure about that. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's where it all goes dirty. So back to the morning, the next morning. I wake up this morning, that morning I find out that I have no idea where I am, no idea how I got there, and I have no means of communicating with anyone. But luckily, that was before the era of smartphones, and I did have something called, maybe the young people here um, won't uh, recognize that or won't, never heard of it, a calling card. So this calling program plan that I subscribed to before leaving Israel, consisted of uh, having to remember a phone number in the country you're in, an eight-digit account number, a password, <laughs> and after you've done all that, then you need to remember, of course, the number that you need to call to. So, uh, yeah, I don't know how our brains worked back then, but for some reason it actually worked. You could remember the eight-digit uh, eight combination, the password on. 
I uh, got up, I found those things called pay phones, and actually uh, made a call to my mom at like 6.30 in the morning with tears in my eyes. I don't know what to do. I don't know how I got there. Uh, now at this part, I noticed, which I don't think I noticed as soon as I woke up, that I have uh, this part is swollen. The part between my thumb and my index finger is swollen, and there is a syringe mark, like a pierce. I was pierced there with a syringe, and that added to uh, <laughs> added to the fun of the situation. Uh, well. From that part, uh, my it was uh, that was Passover day, by the way. Everything was closed in Israel. <laughs> to add to that, uh, my mom, my and my sister tried to help me. They called the embassy in Madrid, which of course is hundreds of kilometers away. Uh, they weren't working that day, obviously. They called the emergency number. The ambassador answered to that call, so my sister told me, and uh, she told me the situation. He said he was very helpful. He said, uh, "Well, tell your sister, which would be me, to go to the hospital and make sure if she was raped, if she was or wasn't raped." Uh, well, uh, for me, I don't know. I have to. Say, I had to say that I woke up sitting, so probably, uh, <laughs> probably nothing like that happened. Um, now, uh, yeah, from there on it was just a weird, I, I barely remember that part, a weird part, and we were trying to locate the guy where I was staying, and he ended up looking for me, and somehow we found each other, adding all these, uh, luckily for me, I had another, um, an international driver's license that was in my bag that I didn't take with me, and I could use, and I used it as to identify myself as I went to the bank to withdraw some money so I can continue my trip, although I really didn't have many places to go, not having a passport and having to travel to other places. But uh, the plot actually thickened after that when I found out, uh, well, part of it was uh, suggested by uh, the police station and later on uh, when I got back home and we googled it, we found out that possibly my passport uh, was uh, stolen by terrorists. Then. <laughs> and the story goes like that. Uh, well, as I mentioned, I was in Bilbao, there was a Basque country. Uh, there was actually a tricky time back then in Spain. It was less than a month after the Atocha train station bombings in Madrid. After which, the prime minister back then uh, falsely, accu falsely accused uh, the ETA, who are the Basque independence group, also defined by, as a terrorist group by uh, most governments in the world, of uh, being in charge of this bombing, which actually turned out not to be true, and it uh, backlashed on him, politically speaking, but that's not what we're, what we're here for. Turns out that ETA, uh, they uh, have this method of operation that in order to be able to travel freely and move from one place to another without being detected, if they're blacklisted on the police, um, um, on the police records, they still passports in order to for them to change the names, change the picture and such. And one of their methods of operation is either putting something in your drink or doing something like injecting something for you to um, uh, to lose consciousness. And that's where um, and that's when it happens. Um, so yeah, that was uh, my part of um, waking up. I don't remember the part obviously when those things were taken out of my pockets. Uh, but yeah, possibly it has uh, that has something to do with uh, with what I was 
injected with what I was, whatever was was put in my drink. And possibly there is some uh, lucky terrorist right now that is walking around Europe in, uh, with my uh, with my passport. And that's the where the hell am I? Story I have for you tonight. Thank you very much to Erez for that uh, that story. And so, just a word of caution: if you are, if you ever arrange to meet up with with Erez and he hasn't arrived yet, don't ever ask him what's his ETA. It gives him gives him terrible flashbacks. Okay, so uh, uh, judges, you're marked out as. Uh, this is Radio Taiwan International. Newsmakers: A look at Taiwan's movers and shakers. Independent Taipei Mayor Ke Wenzhe was re-elected in local elections last Saturday. Ke defeated his main rival, KMT candidate Ding Shouzhong, by slightly over 3,000 votes. It was a long and bitterly fought battle for Ke and his supporters, even on election day. Since both candidates received 41 percent of the vote, it took more than 10 hours to tally the ballots. The final results were only announced after midnight. Four years ago, the surgeon-turned-politician received 57 percent of the vote, thanks to the help from the then-opposition Democratic Progressive Party, or DPP. To throw its full support behind Ke, the DPP didn't even field its own candidate in that year's election. The mayor has long been close and sympathetic to the DPP because of his family background. However, relations between the two have turned sour over the years. The DPP eventually picked another candidate for this round of mayoral elections, a lawmaker who finished a distant third. In Taiwan, the race for Taipei mayor always attracts particular attention, as two former mayors of the capital have gone on to serve as president. While the DPP is not happy with Ke's views on cross-street ties, it is more concerned about his political ambitions. Some political analysts said, Ke is eyeing the presidential race in 2020. Others said he will play a pivotal role even if he does not throw his hat into the ring. Days before the elections, the mayor said he finds claims of his alleged presidential ambitions to be troubling. He said he does not have funds or any campaign infrastructure for a presidential bid and has no plans to run for the nation's highest office. It is generally believed that Ke could pose a challenge to incumbent President Tsai Ing-wen in 2020 due to his continued popularity, especially among young people. More importantly, his re-election Saturday is a testament to the mayor's firm belief that Taiwan's political landscape, which has long been dominated by the DPP and the KMT, must be shattered. The mayor made it once again, even without the DPP's endorsement. Ke Wenzhe has long been considered a loose cannon by the DPP and an oddball in the eyes of the public. But it's fair to say that he has amassed more famous quotes than any other Taiwanese politician. And many agree with the mayor when he says, quote, There is trash, regardless of whether DPP or KMT, end of quote.
Thank you for listening to our programs here today at Radio Taiwan International. I'm Natalie So, back here with Shirley Lin and Jake Chen, and we're going to leave you with one more thing. Well, there's something that I want to share about Taipei, which is a great thing to do. It's healthy, it's fun, and you enjoy great scenery. And that's cycling on Taipei's riverside bike paths at mm. night. At night. night. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, the night. I like the night part because you don't have to worry about sunscreen. Yeah, that's and quite true. There's. I don't. Do you do you ever go there at night? Like to I've, the different bike paths along the rivers. I've biked around Taipei a number of times, and when at the end of my ride, it's normally deep. It's nighttime. Evening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, how do you feel about the difference of going during the day and during the nighttime? Oh, it's definitely cooler. It's definitely cooler, and you know the, the part about sunscreen. I agree one hundred percent. And the scenery is quite a bit different. You know, things are, are a lot true. quieter. And um, you see sort of a different side of a, a Taipei cityscape. You know, you look to your right into the city, everything's lit up. And then you look to your left or, you know, the other direction, you see trees and rivers in the distance. It's really beautiful, actually. It's really beautiful at night. And all the bridges are lit up. Yeah, there's that right? too. The Ferris mm. wheel. Yeah. And um, I mean, at daytime, of course, is, is great too. What yeah. do you like about riding in the daytime? Um... I think just the, just the initial feeling of getting out of the open. I mean, nothing beats that. You know, the first couple of hours you're you're on a almost a constant high because you know we're confined to cars, offices, homes all the time. And then on the weekend you get out, and that's just great in general. That's true. Yeah. Um, well, let me tell you a little bit about our paths. You know, the Riverside Bike Paths in Taipei span 112 kilometers, and they connect 28 Riverside parks. And what's great about them is they're they're built just for bikes, so they're um, flat, they're wide, they're well lighted, they're totally safe. Um, there's gonna be no cars, you know, getting in your way, and uh, there are people, some people running, but I think there's a path for pedestrians, a path for bikes, right? And so you can go as fast as you want, or you can <laughs> go as slow as you want to enjoy the scenery, whatever you want to do, and. Um, we have a few trails. There's one along the Jilong River. So that takes you through Daja, Yingfeng, Meiti, Rainbow, and Chenmei Riverside Parks. And then there's also, and you see a lot of bridges, like the Rainbow Bridge, and you go past the, the Ferris Wheel. Have you been there? It's near our station, actually. The, yeah. The yeah, Ferris Wheel. The, yeah, the, the Jilong River. I uh, rode along Jilong River, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So it, it's right near our station. There, there's one at the Dadaotan Wharf. And also um, near there, there's uh, a Yonglin night market. There's also a big path along Gongguan. And um, you know that area, right? Near the National uh, Taiwan University. I can Behind ho- Gongguan. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I can yeah. bike there. And you ho- can go all the way to Bitan. Wholeheartedly recommend the uh, bypass near Da Daocheng because you're, you're riding right next to a harbor. And I rolled past that place both during the day and at night. And night is beautiful. Really? Yeah, things are lit up and you can see it from a distance when you ride by. It's great. So that's like an old part of the city as well, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's quite popular for tourists too because it has this historic flavor to it. Yes. Yeah, most definitely. Two uh, tiny reminders for those who actually want to ride uh, around Taipei at night in those bypasses. Number one, don't stop if you don't have to because that's where the mosquito comes out. And uh-huh. <laughs> Really? Right. I haven't gotten bitten by mosquitoes yet. Okay. That's if you stop. Right. Oh, if you stop. Yeah, so I'll <laughs> can't you bite you so if you're fast, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just speed past them. And the second thing has to do with being fast. Most parts of the bypass are actually lit, but some parts aren't. So uh, uh, make sure your yeah. bikes are equipped with lights. Front oh, definitely. And, front and back. Yeah. Right. For safety purposes. Right. And wear something bright, too. I think that Yeah, helps reflective mm-hmm. uh, helmets. Right. And we know what's cool is there's also great um, places to eat right around these areas. There's a Rauho Street Night Market. 
There's night markets basically around all of these parks. <laughs> yeah. So if you get、That's、hungry, you can eat. And if you like、um, natural scenery, also you can go to the Guangdu Wharf or Dadaotan Wharf,、mm. and you can watch the sunset there. So these are great places,、um, and it's all free, right? Yeah. Just go cycle out at night, especially, but you know, daytime's nice too. So, anyways, that's something to do in Taipei. If you ever make it here to Taipei,、um, we hope you do sometime. Well, thanks for joining us today on Radio Taiwan International. We hope that you enjoyed our programs, and we hope that you join us again for RTM. Natalie, so hope to see you next time. Listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies: in Southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6180 kilohertz. Again, that's in Southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6180 kilohertz, and in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kilohertz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kilohertz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to PO Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's PO Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me/radiotaiwanintl. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me/radiotaiwanintl for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International.